0: So, what we're looking at tonight is we're continuing the Doctrine of God series we've been looking at Sunday night. And this has been different. Typically, when you consider the doctrine of God, or you're thinking usually the attributes of God God's holiness, His omnipresence, His, His, um, His power, and those kinds of abstract ideas. What we've been doing is, is more of uh, the Bible more presents God in terms of what He does. Certainly, the Bible describes who God is, but more often than not, the large majority of the time when we see God at work, um, we're we're seeing seeing his attributes, we're seeing him at work, we're seeing him involved in the affairs of individuals, we're seeing him involved in the affairs of creation. We're seeing God working, and through how God works, we understand who he is, and his attributes, and his greatness, and his power. And so tonight, we're going to look at a God who works miracles, because when we think of God immediately we think of a God who works miracles. I know when you mention God in our, in our society today, people think, well, you believe in miracles because we believe in a God who is supernatural, who has the power and the ability to carry out miracles. So tonight we're going to look at the God who works miracles and we're going to ask some questions. What is a miracle, first of all? How does, how does, God, how does God work miracles? What, why are they for? What is, what is the purpose of God's miracles? Is God still working miracles today? Those are all questions we want to look at here tonight. First of all, what is a miracle? Uh, the first question on your sheet. Um, some people have tried to define God's miracle as, you know, define the laws of nature um, as a miracle. But but we even see miracles in Scripture where God uses the laws of nature to do something miraculous. Okay, so even a more simple definition that God's, or miracle, as the Scriptures define it, would be God acts. Okay, God does something, He acts to do something spectacular, amazing, unusual. This is this is not normal. Okay, God is acting to do something spectacular. Something that is unusual. Normally that means defying any kind of natural explanation. Okay, normally it means the laws of nature have been suspended. When the sun stands still, how do you explain that through natural causes? You can't. It's completely miraculous. Okay, it's completely an act of God, in, in that case, suspending or breaking what we would consider the laws of nature. But let's remember that God upholds the laws of nature. It's not just as, as God has, in a deist kind of mindset, God has created the laws of nature and he's let that kind of go. And every once in a while, he'll jump in and he'll change something, and that's a miracle, now, we saw and we looked at God's providence that even storms, even rain, the snow, the sun rising, the sun setting, that's all God. God does all of that. He, he upholds all of that. And so even what we consider natural causes or God's providence or miraculous, God is always working. So even by miracle, this is unusual, an unusual work of God that is something spectacular. OK, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two main categories of miracle. Um, and you see that on the on the very first page. First one we're going to look at is miracle as power. Okay, when you think of miracle, you think power, and God's power in working miracles. We're going to look at miracle as power. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 14. I didn't include the whole passage on the handout because it's a longer passage. Okay? But you can take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 14, and we're just going to read about the crossing of the Red Sea, okay? Much of tonight is going to be reading, like like previous nights, reading Scripture, and then being marveled at who God is and how He acts. So Exodus 14, I'm going to read through this whole chapter. It's a bit lengthy, but I'm going to read it quickly, and so uh, do your best to, to follow along as we read about the crossing of the Red Sea. Exodus 14, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pilharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering the land. The wilderness has shut them in. You know, they're trapped. Verse four, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Verse five, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants were changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot. He took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them and camped at the sea by Pilharoth in front of Baal-Zaphon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "'Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness?' What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Verse 21. In the pillar of fire and of the cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Okay, here we see an example, a great example. One of the greatest miracles in Scripture. One of the ones that was retold over and over again to the children of Israel. Once again, retold over and over again in our day and age, in the Christian era. It's a great miracle, a demonstration of God's power. So he'd exercise glory over Egypt. So they would know that he is the Lord. So they would know that Moses is a prophet sent by God. Which brings us to the next thing I want to discuss. Why does God do miracles? Okay, here we see it's a demonstration of his power, of his control. That the Egyptians will know that he is the Lord. What I mean by the Lord? He is sovereign. He is in control of all things. And he wants all the nations to know it. And to bow before him in allegiance and submission, recognizing his lordship. He did this miracle to get glory over Pharaoh and his horse, and his host. You know, some of the most powerful um, army and empire in that day. And God showed his power over it. Now, I want you to turn over and look at Genesis, uh, or sorry, Exodus fifteen six. Exodus fifteen six. This is a song after the... Um, this miracle took place. And 15 and 6 says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. People feared God. They knew he was a powerful God. I mean, more powerful than the Egyptians. More powerful than nature. God, in this miracle, demonstrated that he had power. And not only that, we see earlier in the Exodus account, before this takes place, God doing miracles through Moses, through Aaron demonstrating his power over the magicians, demonstrating his power over the gods of Egypt, you know, or Pharaoh himself. God was demonstrating that he has more power than any kind of earthly authority, and he's doing that through miracles. Some of these verses I have written for you on your sheet, you look at the first one, Exodus 7, 8 to 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is earlier, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Here, a demonstration of God's power in Moses and Aaron. Exodus 8, 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is God himself at work. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Exodus twelve twelve. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Again, why is God doing these miracles? Because he's the Lord. Because he has all power. Because he's executing judgment on these false gods, on the Egyptians, on Pharaoh, on these magicians. He's demonstrating that they have no power. But he has all power. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And the answer is no one. No one is like our God. No one can do the things that God does. Now, not only is, is God's power manifest here in the Exodus account, but this same power is manifest in the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Mark 30. Okay, this power is manifest in Jesus Mark 30 says this, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out for him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Okay, when that, that woman with the, with the blood discharge comes and touches Jesus, power went out from the Lord. Because he has the same power as God the Father. Luke 5, 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. To heal in the way that Jesus did is not natural. It's not normal, it's not usual. It was spectacular, and it was God's power at work to demonstrate his lordship. Luke 6:19 and all the crowds sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Acts 3:12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, this is the man, crippled man who was made well. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Only God can do this. Only the true God has the power to heal the lame, so they can run and leap for joy. Like we see in Acts chapter 3. A miracle that nobody could deny. Not even the skeptics. Okay, that's the first way that we see miracles. And we look at so many miracles in Scripture. We're not going to have a chance to look at uh, uh, hardly any of them here tonight, but the ones that we look at, they're a demonstration of God's power and of His Lordship. His complete control. His raw, majestic, glorious power that He has over everything and everyone. Okay, we see that in miracles. The second thing we're going to see about miracles is miracles as signs or revelation. Okay, miracles... Or a miracle as a sign or revelation. One thing you'll notice too as we read through the miracles in Scripture is that many of the miracles are done to attest the word of God or attest a prophet to provide validation that this is a true prophet. We see here in in Exodus 14, the people then knew that Moses was sent by God when Moses could raise his hand above the water and part the water and then raise his hand back above the water and it crashes back again and the Egyptians are destroyed. They knew Moses was a prophet of God when that happened. So miracles, signs, um, are, are signifying something. In this case, they signify that a prophet is true or that the word of God is true. I want to read to you Exodus 4, 1-5. It's on the very bottom of page number 1. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. You know, when he goes to his people, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Verse two, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, this miracle, taking a branch, a staff, and turning it into a serpent, a snake, is a demonstration of God's power such that this person, Moses, is vindicated, is seen as a true prophet of God, that God has truly appeared to him. Because no one, you can't create that kind of power, that is not normal. Now we have Moses being verified through miracles. We have uh, two other great miracle workers, Elijah and Elisha. Um, And so we see miracles happening, especially in great turning points in history. When the law gets brought in, the people are brought of the Exodus. We see Moses being raised up, given the law. and, And we see great miracles happening in the lifetime of Moses and the Israelites in that Exodus generation. We see a great amount of miracles in Elijah and Elisha. Now, what was so spectacular about that period in time? That was the decline of the kingdom of Judah. That was God's judgment coming upon the people. And so what did those signs that Elijah and Elisha do, what did they authenticate? Well, they spoke from God. First uh, 1 Kings 17.4, it's on our sheet, top of page number two. This is after Elijah raises the widow's son. And it says in First 1 Kings 17.24, and the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. And the miracle that he did made that woman make that profession. She knew he was a man of God. And she knew that what was in his mouth was the word of the Lord because of the power that was worked through him. We have miracles being done by the apostles. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and... And mighty works. Okay, Paul here is defending his apostolic ministry. How do I know? I'm a, how do you know that I'm an apostle? He says to you, "Because I did the signs of an apostle among you. You saw the miracles. You saw the signs. You saw the wonders. Testimony to God's power and His work through myself as an apostle." That's what Paul was arguing in that portion of the letter, and and I've included many other scriptures where we see miracles done as an authentication to a particular prophet or to a particular vision, dream, um, communication from God. Okay? Now, one thing we have to be careful, it's not just miracles that authenticate the Word of God. God's Word is self-authenticating. That is, you know, we don't need a miracle in our day to know this is the Word of God. Uh, in, in fact, a miracle does take place because the Holy Spirit is working within us to recognize the Word of God. But it's not like, okay, we need, we need miracles all the time to be able to re-authenticate that this is God's Word. This Word has been authenticated, self-authenticated. This is the very words of God It's given to us in a miraculous fashion. God spoke, He moved holy men of God to give us now the written Word. And there's other things in Scripture and things that happen today that, that help us to have faith in the Word of God that are not necessarily miraculous. When Stephen was, was stoned in Acts chapter 7, he spoke with such boldness and clarity. That's a real testament to the truthfulness of Scripture and to what he was saying. But yet, that was not a necessarily miraculous scene that was going on, but it still attests to the truthfulness of the things that he spoke. Okay? Not only do we have apostles being verified by miracles, Old Testament prophets. We have Jesus himself, as mentioned. Uh, John 20, 30 to 31 is on your handout. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, these signs, these miracles are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's okay, so part of the reason why Jesus did his miracles was that we know he's the son of God and that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. Okay, now the miracles of Jesus often parallel the miracles of God in the Old Testament. He miraculously fed people. He healed the sick, uh, calmed the storm, raised the dead, the blind saw, the deaf heard, the lame walked, the the mute spoke. These are powerful miracles revealing just who Jesus was. Look at Luke 7, 18-22. The disciples of John reported all these things, these miracles happening to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, that's Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come? That is the Messiah. Or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, yes, I am the Christ and my actions, these miracles, these signs and wonders testify to to who I am. I'm doing the signs of the Messiah. So go we'll tell this to John. He will know that I am the one. Okay, so miracles definitely act as a sign, a sign to signify a prophet or an apostle or the Christ, a sign to signify the word of God. And not only do they, they signify those things or, or validate them or attest to them, but also miracles in themselves are revelation. That's what I mean, miracles are a sign or revelation. Miracles also reveal something to us about God. They reveal something to us about who He is. Okay, We have a knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ because of the miracles that God does. We know He's a powerful God. We know Christ is a compassionate person because He used His miracles, His working power to heal people because He had compassion on them. Okay, in our, in the bottom of page two on the handout, there's nine different things that miracles, the different miracles tell us about God. This is, this, this is not exhaustive. Okay, but here are nine different ways in which miracles tell us about who God is. The first one, our dependence on God for life. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, He humbled you and He let you hunger and fed you with manna. Okay, miraculous, feeding of the people of Israel with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He fed them with manna for a reason. Not just to show his great power, but that they would know that they are completely dependent on God, and that they rely on him, and that they, they, they must have this bread of God. Not just physically, but also spiritually. They need God. They are a complete and utter dependence on Him. And that miracle revealed that about God and about the people of Israel. Second one, the power to forgive. Mark 2, 11, Mark 2, 1-11 to is that story where the, the crippled man is brought, the paraplegic is brought before Jesus, and Jesus heals him. And so, or before He heals him, He says, um, your, your sins are forgiven. And so what do you, and, and, and the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were there. And they're like, what do you mean? You don't have the authority to forgive sins. That man's sin is between him and God. Only God has the authority and the prerogative, the right to forgive that man of sin. You're uttering blasphemy. And of course they spoke this in their mind. But Jesus reading their mind. He says that you know the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin. I say to this man, rise, take your bed and walk. And that man gets up and he walks. So there that miracle of healing that paraplegic. And now he gets up and he takes up his little bed that he has been carried there on and he walks away with a demonstration that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Number three, there is the, the miracle of creation that brought the world into being. Everything is from God, for him and to him. All glory goes to him. We know he is the creator. And we see that great miracle in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth. Fourth item, the incarnation. Jesus coming to this world was not necessarily a sign attesting to something, but rather was um, Christ coming to this world in a miraculous fashion because he's the Savior. And so in that case, a miracle was done to prepare the way of salvation. You should call his name Jesus, says Matthew 121, because he will save his people from their sins. Number five. Miracles are also visible as forms of judgment. We see that in Exodus 14. We also see it in the flood. That was a great miracle. Didn't necessarily attest that Moses was a prophet, or sorry, Noah was a prophet, um, but it certainly showed God's judgment. Number six, we have Jesus' miracles, as I mentioned before, as an expression of compassion. He saw the great crowds and had compassion on them and he healed them. There's a number of references to that. Number seven, we see God's miracle-working power in regeneration. God opens hearts to supernaturally spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Acts 13.48 says this, And when the Gentiles heard this, that salvation had come to them, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. God is working to redeem a people. And so salvation, regeneration, when someone believes the word of God, when they receive eternal life, it's a work of God. It's a miracle of God in their heart. Acts 16, 14. I'll read that one for you too. One who heard us, this is Luke speaking, heard us, heard us and myself and Paul, he's saying here. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Again, a miracle took place to open her, the eyes of her understanding, to open up her heart such as she understood the gospel and she believed and she was saved. It's a miracle. And so here, the, a miracle of regeneration is not necessarily attesting to anything, either the word or, or to a particular prophet, but yet it's God saving his people and he does it in a miraculous way. We have God working the miracle as He preserves us in faith. Hebrews 12.2 says that Christ is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that's going to save us from first to last. No one is going to be able to snatch us out of His hand because He and the Father are one and they're greater than anything else that could jeopardize our salvation. There's a miracle of preservation. The ninth thing on the sheet is God conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ this is another miracle sanctification now we take part in this we are called to act the miracle to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure okay Philippians two twelve and 13 we are called to act out that miracle but it's still a miracle God is still working in us to sanctify us it's an amazing thing God is still working miracles today in our sanctification, in our salvation, in our preservation, so we would not fall away. Okay, so there's a variety of different ways that God is working. Now, if you turn to the final page, page number three, the question someone can ask is how does God how does God do them? Okay, how does God work miracles? Now, this is. Um, this is one of my favorite miracles here in Joshua chapter 3. This is when the Israelites cross the um, the river Jordan. Okay, the Jordan River. This is different than the than crossing the Red Sea. Um, in Exodus chapter 14, this is crossing the Jordan River. Okay, and we're looking here, how does God do miracles? And we saw in Exodus 14 that God used a strong east wind to accomplish his purposes. And here in Joshua 3, 14 and 17, I'll read this for us. It says that so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, okay, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. Okay, The, the, the river is raging, overflowing its banks. But as soon as the priest's feet touched the brink of the water, verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. Okay, no more water was coming down the river. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Okay, now what's so interesting? We ask, well, how does God work miracles? There are so many people today, and I'm not just talking about skeptics, I'm not talking about liberals, but people who who call themselves Christians, who try to explain God's miracle by, by simple natural causes. Well, perhaps it was this time of year, Or when they they crossed over the Red Sea, maybe it wasn't the Red Sea, maybe it was the Reed Sea. That was a a shallower pond, and it was up to their knees. You know, can you imagine Pharaoh and his army drowning in water up to their knees? Like, it's ridiculous. Or it was this strong east wind, and and perhaps with with this wind blowing at a certain rhythm, at a certain angle, it caused the the waters to to part a little bit, and the sea was lower in that area already. You know, they try to figure out how did these things take place. And this one, it's almost comical what they say about the crossing the Jordan River. They say the water was held up as a heap. It was, it was far away. The city of Adam, this was, was farther upstream of their crossing near Jericho. So what they say is what, there was a great earthquake at that time. And this great earthquake caused all of this rock and rubble to fall into the Jordan River and dammed up the river such that it was dry. And then, but, but over time, as, as the water continued to pile up, the dam burst and then the water came back down again. And that's how we have an explanation of what must have happened when they crossed the river. Okay, but it's, it's a complete defiance of. of, of first of all, it doesn't make sense with the text, but it's a complete defiance of who God is. Okay, it wasn't just a, a chance happening. It happened when those priests' foot touched the water. Boom, now the water starts to get blocked up. And then they stand there on dry ground, and as soon as they get to the other side, as soon as the priests get onto the other bank of the river, boom, there goes the water. Okay, it wasn't just this uh, happen, happenstance uh, kind of circumstance that allowed them to cross the river. The point of the miracle is not trying to figure out how it worked, but rather to marvel at our great God. Okay, look at Joshua 4.18. When the priest bearing the Ark of Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on the dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Okay, this is a miracle. This is not normal, Okay. And again, the object is not trying to try to figure out how exactly God does all of these different things, but it's to marvel at his power and at his control. Look at Joshua four twenty three to 24. It's also on your sheet. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is Mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Joshua 5.1, As soon as the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. I love reading this account because what happened, if you, if you know the, the geography in that area, Jordan River is very low, and they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And here you have the Canaanites up on the west side, these great big banks. They can look down, see the Jordan River. They can see it's, it's spilling over its banks. There's no way that people is getting across that river. We have months in order to prepare for this battle because we know these Israelites have been marching and they've destroyed cities and they're, they're coming for us. But it's okay. They're on the other side of that river. You know, there's a great mass of them. And then, can you imagine the scouts and the guards looking down there and seeing that river stop? You see, in a drying, the priests walk out, and now all the people are walking across, like the hearts are melted. like like for sure their hearts are melting. Here they come, right away, we're not ready for them. No more will to fight, because their God is too powerful. How How can we fight a people who has a God like that, who can stop the water, and they walk through on dry ground, not once, but twice? Again, testifying to the greatness and the power of God. Okay, and then they carried those stones as a testament, so we would remember, never forget, God's power. Now, so we can't explain all of God's miracles, and they're not meant to be explained. The second question we can ask on page, the last page: Why does God do them? Okay, why does God perform miracles? And we saw that God performs miracles, my acts, for a variety of reasons, but essentially, God performs miracles or mighty acts so that people will know that He is the Lord. That He is the Lord. Okay, we're not just we're not just you know the Lord is a, is a term we hear a lot in Christian circles, but that is a big term to say God is Lord. He's master. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's all powerful, all glorious. He's the King of the universe. Whatever he says goes. He is the Lord, and that's why God does miracles. Now, do miracles happen today? Given the definition that God is acting in extraordinary ways. I don't think it can be demonstrated from Scripture that miracles aren't happening today. In other words, miracles are happening. We have the miracle of regeneration, the miracle of sanctification, of preservation. These are all miraculous things that are happening as the gospel goes forth. It says the the, the gospel is the power of God. It's like a miracle. Power of God to salvation for those who believe. To Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, so God's power is at work through the gospel. Okay? Miracles can certainly occur in our time, in our day and age. You know, I'm talking about other other spectacular displays of power besides that of regeneration. Certainly miracles can occur, but they are going to happen at God's initiative and in God's timing. Okay? And we're gonna look in more detail when we go to first Corinthians twelve to fourteen. And I want to, um, we're going to explore the whole topic of spiritual gifts. And I do believe that the miraculous gifts of, of tongues and prophecy, these things have ceased. They are not normative in the church today. Okay, but just because, um, and this has been the, the majority position of the saints all through time. Okay, now just, just because someone believes that doesn't mean that you don't believe in miracles. Okay, that's a, that's a red herring to say, if you, if you believe that the miraculous gifts like tongues and prophecy have ceased, then you must not believe in miracles. That's not true. It's not true. We just don't believe that God is working through these um, miracle workers like He was in the New Testament period. As that, as that's not normative here today. Okay? But today, do we have people still walking on water? Do we have people still in storms? Do we have people who are instantly healed by, by a word of a healer today? You know, these are not normal Christian experiences. And we shouldn't feel guilty if we don't, if we don't see these things. And some people try to impose upon you that you're not normal because you haven't witnessed miracles in your lifetime and in your witness. And so there's something wrong with you. You should feel guilty. You should feel like a sub-Christian because you're not seeing God's miracle-working power. Okay, that's just not, this is just jive up with Scripture. You have to remember that there's many miracles in the Bible. But the Bible covers about 4,000 years of history. Okay, or more. And so as we consider the, the history of the, of the Bible and how, how many miracles are in there, they weren't happening every single day. We have periods of the scriptures where hundreds of years, centuries have gone by with no miracles. None. No prophets. No word from God. Okay? It doesn't mean God wasn't there. It doesn't mean God's not working. We see many miracles in the lifetime of Moses. Okay? Because he was given the law. This, this was a big deal. You need to know that he's a prophet of God. We see many miracles happening for Moses. We see many miracles in the time of Elijah and Elisha as that kingdom is declining and God's bringing his judgment. That they would know these are, these are men who speak the word of God. We see many miracles in Jesus' life, and the apostles' life, as the gospel and Jesus as the Son of God is authenticated to the people. Okay, so we see these periods of great miracle activity, but not every single age and time period is like that. God evidently reserves miracles for special occasions and most often the attestation of messengers that we've already seen here. Now, as we close tonight, our response to a miracle-working God. I want you to turn to um, Luke 5. I also don't have this passage on here, but Luke 5. We're just going to read this text and I'm going to read Exodus 15 as we close. Luke 5, I'll read the first 10 verses. On one occasion, when the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, okay, Lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all nights and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Okay, so we see miracles. We saw it in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Miracles uh, are a means by which we know that Jesus is Lord and that grants us faith. And here we see the faith of the disciples. They left their nets and they followed him. Certainly this man is true. Certainly what he is teaching, he is from God. And not only that, miracles, whether being right there as Simon Peter was or being with here as we read this account, as we believe it to be true, we are also gripped with the same power of God and with God's presence. Okay, miracles mediate God's presence in the sense that Peter is completely undone. It's like, it's like Isaiah. Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. And why did, why did Isaiah say that? Because he saw the Lord high and lifted up. The same thing with Peter. He's undone. I'm a sinner because he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the power of Jesus Christ. And so in miracles... We're reminded of God's presence, reminded of his work of salvation and our need for it and our own sin and coming judgment. Not only that, the other response I want to reflect on tonight is going back to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15 is a song of worship. So often when God has worked in miraculous ways and given the people great victory, they respond in a song of worship. And so here we have a song of Moses in Exodus 15 is a song of worship. So we started with reading Exodus 14. We're going to end tonight reading Exodus 15. I'm just going to read this, not provide any commentary. and We're going to finish at verse 18 and then I'm going to close in prayer. Exodus 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire will have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Let's pray.